Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Brave New Workforce. I'm joined with my two lovely co-hosts, Larry Cornette and Trip O'Dell. Hi, guys. How are you today? Probably not. Probably not as good as you are. Do, we what do you managed mean? I to, just got we, out of cartel jail. What are you talking about? I'm having a miserable <laughs> existence. That's uh, terrible. Yeah. You know as well as I nobody do that knows. We, we coached on you. vacation in Mexico. No, yeah, we coaxed, we coaxed her out of pool, out of the pool, barely. Like I think I still see the umbrella drink in the background. Do you, do you, yeah. do you see my new Mexican like blanket? I mean, I'm totally assimilated, man. Like I'm never leaving. You're never going I think, home. You're, I think yeah. you're wearing that Mexican blanket over over uh, a, a swimming costume. Yes, uh, some actually, sort of, yeah. I just got back from the beach. Actually, I'm still in okay. sand right now. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what Rough. do we got on tap for this Rough. week? Anna? I don't know. I'm like, on vacation. I'm not prepared. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm okay. kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, we have another hot seat session here. Uh, we have two lovely guests, um, victims, as it were. Um, <laughs> we have Tom and Flora who have decided to be on the hot seat gauntlet today. I think, um, did we decide which one wanted to go first? Either well, or? before before we jump into that, maybe we should remind the audience a little bit about what our hot well, seat format yeah, sure. is about. Sure. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Trip, you uh, take it away. So- You're good at that. I'm good at talking generally. Uh, so, uh, yes. our hot seat is really about, um, we kicked off this thread on LinkedIn about people that were interested in learning more about behavioral interviewing and really sort of the do's and don'ts, what the questions are really about, how to answer them or, or, or sort of give an answer that, uh, is legitimate, but also, uh, addresses the, the way that, the interview is trained to, to receive uh, sort of listen. Uh, and we talked about the star framework, the situation, the task, the action, and the result. Uh, uh, and that you want to structure your answers and think about the stories you're going to tell before you go in. Uh, and mm-hmm. so we, we told our two guests, uh, Tom and Flora, that uh, we didn't tell them anything. Uh, so they have no <laughs> stories prepared. Uh, and so they are literally on the hot seat. Uh, and so with that, why don't we start with Flora? Flora, welcome to the Brave New Workforce and the hot seat. Good pick. Um, I think my last interview was conducted two years ago. So I came in pretty much unprepared. <laughs> Perfect. Anna, you want to kick it off? Yeah. So why don't we just start with like, how, who are you? What are you about? What's your story? How did you get into UX design? All right. So basically, I graduated from um, Pratt Institute last year during the middle pandemic uh, in information experience design because I really want to go, you know, join the UX industry. Um, before grad school, I was working as a uh, web development um, tutors and the uh, volunteer in some uh, in one nonprofit organization, and then when I was fighting about the user experience, I really hate. No, I wouldn't say hate, but I think the product could be better. So that's how I discovered UX. Um, and based on my personal experience, I am actually really good at solving problems because I've been in this country and been independent since I was a teenager. So my whole life is pretty much solving problems. And this is like, I have, you know, also give me great empathy. So 
this is pretty much the two keys of being qualified or you know being a UX designer. So I went to school. Uh, I did multiple internship in different company, like including like Colgate or Battelle and um, other startup and nonprofits. Uh, my team and the project is focusing on loss mitigation. Um, so pretty much my target audience are focusing on delivering customers to design strategy and solution to help them get caught up in their auto loan, uh, which is pretty challenging, especially during the last year pandemic. So uh, I was able to complete like lots of very awesome projects, you know, with my team people. Yeah. So this is me. So Larry, do you want to kick the? Do you want to kick this one off? Yeah. So I'm going to kind of take this in a little bit of a twist because when you read someone's resume in LinkedIn, it tells the pretty picture of their career and all the, the happy stories of what they've accomplished. So I want to ask you about a time that you actually made a mistake, that you had a failure. And what did you do to fix that situation? Um, I have to think about the failure. Uh, I think failure can be projects can be communication um i wouldn't say there's failure of my of the you know uh, of the project i've been doing it's more about like the direction uh of where i'm going in this project so for example i was working on the um i would say like my most recent project is obo and then uh, basically like on behalf of customer Design a product that enable, well, first, let me give you the high level of the project. So the objective of this project is to enable um, customers and agents, enable customers to do self-service design, um, basically to um, learn about the delinquents, uh, delinquencies and the impacts and eventually help them, you know, they're able to in allow them to be able to enroll in the payment options. Um, this is, and but we also want to work on the OPO, which is the on behalf of pretty much is like to allow agent using the same UI elements with the entitlements um, on behalf on behalf of customers. So it's very challenging. People didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do either. So people are getting like answer and stuff. So um, there's a time that I was, so I think first we are trying to focusing on one area which is pretty much what I've been doing. And um, I thought I was stuck. I couldn't get the answer from what I want because the research was focusing on another step. So what I did say, I'm not sure if this is a question uh, answer you guys are looking for. So I tried to like talk to stakeholder, who, like all the people that got enrolled in this project and it didn't get anywhere because there's too much information at the same time. So eventually in my results, I, I spoke to my director uh, I told him that, like, okay, this is not going anywhere. Can we have the priority? Can we just, you know, which part we should be focusing on right now um, based on um, your strategy of the team? So it turned out that there are lots of other meetings I wasn't involved. Um, so there's a lack of information. There's a lack of visibility of the project. So uh, I didn't ask him because I actually come from his like, I think how it's gonna help me to do my job is to involve, you know, involve me in those meetings, even though you know I can give me the ability to decide whether I want to participate or not. But I need the answer to do my work. Yeah, because I don't think my my personal uh, experience. I don't think I should ask them to 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 um, join those meeting. I think this is like part of my um, 
um, rights or responsibilities that I have, you know, I have to be on the same level with all, you know, different level of stakeholders. So let me let me ask a follow up on that because I think there's a there's a great uh, I think th- that can be very frustrating to not be involved, especially when you're new in your career. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things that graduate school doesn't prepare you for uh, is you may have group projects in school, but you're you're not necessarily working with the people from the computer science department or the people from the business school, and you have these different perspectives. Um, and oftentimes as a designer, uh, and I've been on the outside looking in, um, you're not invited to the meetings, but you still have to do your job. So let's imagine that you're, you're, uh, and maybe, maybe you did this, uh, and maybe you can tell me about this is how did you go about if your if your manager said no, uh, how did you go about maybe getting the right information to do your job? Uh, from, you know, how did you, how did you build the relationships you needed to get the job done, whether you were in the meeting or not? Okay. So you, if you're saying, so let me repeat that again. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, if in that case, you know, my director rejects me that, okay, I don't think you are allowed to participate in those meetings. Then I would just ask him, okay, so I need information to do my job because, you know, um, design and strategy doesn't come up nowhere we need data we need information so maybe i'm not going to be able to you know be in that meeting but can you give me a recap could you right yeah but uh there's other people in that meeting that are outside of design right um Mm -hmm. did you build other relationships outside of the design area uh, that you could get access to the information and maybe tell me about some of those relationships that you built Okay, so um, this is my situation is like um, there are different level of the meeting that are happening. There's a meeting that uh, you have with the uh, president of the headquarter, you know, like very senior level, and then there's meeting um, that is at your level at your team, like you collaborate with other stakeholders like your product, project, and tech. So if I'm not going to be able to get the information from my director. I will seek for those stakeholders that involve this project, for example, product manager. They are the one that own this product, right? They have to have information to see the vision of the product. Sure. And maybe yeah. maybe not in this particular situation because it sounds like there's some information siloing around your current director, but can maybe you give me an example. And maybe it's not from this job. It could be from a prior role, maybe as you were a web dev, where there was a blocker to the type of collaboration that you wanted. How did you maybe give me a specific example of a time where you had to uh, build the right relationship to work around that obstacle? Okay. So there's a one very good example is that when you first join a new team, you don't know these people, you don't know their team culture. You thought you know, but you actually don't know because you're so new, right? Uh, how I would view the relationship is by doing one-on-one. But can you give um, me a specific example? Like like an example oh, yeah. where you have done this. Okay, so when I, when I first working on the project uh, with new stakeholder, like, well, Capital has always been my product owner, right? It's like our direct um, stakeholder. Is I will always schedule one-on-one before we start a meeting. I will want to get to know them in person, in a personal sure. level. 
Sure. But like, is there a particular project? Uh, can you give me the, maybe, uh, a spe- maybe it's not the project that we're talk- we've been talking about, but is there a specific example of a project where, uh, where you had a specific stakeholder, say it's a product manager or a marketing person or an engineer where you needed to get something through and maybe there was some friction, maybe there wasn't, but how did you build that relationship and that information pipeline so that you could work more effectively? Just a, a, like a, 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 an example that actually happened. Mm, the new project I was, um, I was joined in the middle of the way because the team, the project or the people in that project realized they need a design person. So I was approached by um, by one of the person on that team and um, they invited me to that meeting. I have no any information in that meeting, what they want. So what I do is I would first listen. Uh, I am an active listener. Because um, have, I have to understand what's the background, you know, what's the base story, what people are trying to do. And then I would, okay, uh, also before the meeting, I will always try to write down my questions, you know, what I'm going to ask. Like, for example, I'm a design student, right? What are they going to achieve? And then what value can my design bring to it? You know, uh, who are they um, solving problem for? So that's like user, UX designer, you know, what we do, we solve problem. So yeah, so I'll listen to it and then see if they have any ideas of how the product should be. And then um, based on the information they provide in the meeting, I will jump in um, to start asking them, okay, so this is what we're going to do. Um, so what's your perspective of designing this project? Um, you know, how do you want, you know, what do you, how do you want the outcome to be? Yeah. Okay. That's mm-hmm. a good answer. Then- yeah. So, <laughs> so I think like, let's, let's wrap that up there. Cause yeah. I think, um, uh, and we will come back to that on feedback. Cause I think like yeah. there was a, there was a couple of pieces there and that, but I think you, you came back with a, with a good example at the end and we'll mm-hmm. talk a little mm-hmm. bit more about preparation, but before mm-hmm. we get into that, uh, Tom, welcome to the brave new workforce. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thank you, Trip. Uh, nice to see everybody. Uh, my name is Tom Sparrow. I am a UX researcher uh, I've done a little bit of consulting work. Uh, previous to that, I, I had a, I'm, I'm doing a career change. So previous to that, I was in uh, financial aid for uh, 12 plus years. Um, so it's a little bit different for me. Um, but my background is in design. I originally studied design and animation uh, in my bachelor's degree. Uh, and then, like I said, unfortunately, didn't find what I wanted to do there. Uh Took this job in financial aid, worked there for many years, and finally went back and got my master's degree uh, in human-computer interaction uh, to cool. be a researcher uh, and really get to kind of understand users and people and technology more uh, and just make things work better and nicer. Uh, and uh, now I'm out in the Bay Area trying to get, you know, you know, a tech job in Silicon Valley, as it were. That's kind of the the dream, so... Be careful what you dream for. Uh, right. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, I hear you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's cool. So, so uh, just before we jump off and, and maybe Larry and Anna can take the next question, but like, where'd you go to school? Uh, where did I go to school? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at uh, DePaul University. 
and oh, great school! I've I've spoken so. to that. There's some some great teachers there. I've 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 spoken to cohorts there. So it's a it's a great program. Yeah, the HA uh, program is a really top one for for research in particular. It's a very big focus on research and uh, mixed methods because uh, it was very uh, it was both qualitative and quantitative focused and a lot of different methodologies that we're exposed to. So that's really important. Yeah. So financial aid and research are quite seem to be quite different industries. Um, however, you've been in one for over twelve years with the career change. Do you see any sort of, I guess, how do you plan or what is the best way you're, you're thinking about leveraging these next two, the, the 12 years of experience into this new role? Yeah. Uh, so uh, one of my big things is that um, I, it's not just like, oh, hey, I got a master's degree and now I'm, I'm a user-centered uh, researcher. I always felt myself to be very user-centered or at least very customer-centered. Uh, and based on all my approaches, I was in retail for a while. Uh, then I said, then I was in financial aid, uh, where I had to, uh, number one, I was basically in an interaction with the users on a day-to-day basis. I was one-on-one with students, uh, helping them through a process. Um, I was always trying to, you know, do, but basically become a subject matter expert in that process myself, number one, uh, and then, um, and then use my expertise to find ways to make that process easier for my students that were coming in and making sure that they could get things done quicker, that they got the results that they were expecting, and basically to allow them to, to have to worry less about that finance part and they can focus on their whole goal and their whole job of being there, which is to get an education. Uh, and so, and, and I mean, so that's, you know, that's one aspect that, that I feel is kind of carries over no matter where I go. It's always a focus on making things better for users. Uh, there was also a specific project uh, that I had, um, basically that I uh, initiated to fix a particular problem with disbursements uh, in our system. And that's something where I, again, I basically did what a researcher would do. I went through, I collected data. I presented that data to leadership and asked them, you know, basically we need to make a change and here's a recommendation I'm making. I tried, you know, a new process. This was essentially we tested that process. We brought back information on that and we continued to iterate that over a couple of years to improve it and, and eventually get it to a point where it was, you know, far and far away from what it was previously. It was a vast improvement over how we had been doing things, you know, uh, the users were much happier. The process was better, and it saved internally a lot of time and money in our end as well. Cool. So let me jump back to another question for Flora. So tell me about a time that you feel like you went above and beyond on a project. I would say I always went above and beyond the project. Because, <laughs> nice. um, the reason I uh, the reason that caught. That, that you know that cost that happened because I always whatever project I take you know comes to my side I always try my best to make you know to get the best outcome and I always so um, I pretty much deep down to every single project I do for example um, there was a uh, a b texting okay uh, mm-hmm. to text out the intelligent messaging right um, pretty much is to understand, you know, um, the uh, which customer, you know, which version of the content is more resonated with customer. 
Um, so people thought it just like, ah, this is just a quick A-B testing. But what I did is like, I not only um, getting the answer, yes or no, you know, version A works and version B uh, is not working. I did down to like two things uh, or two categories. One is like um, participant behavior. Under, like, I observe how they react to the contents, how they express uh, or report their feeling of the contents, and combine those together to understand why it didn't work with them. And then from another level is like the data. Um, uh, how would I say it? It's like the uh, data perspective level is like, okay, so what are the things that is missing here? What are the information we need to provide? How can we do it better? Or like, you know, how can like how can we not do it? So it came out. So the result turned to like there's so many findings, uh, which I have to prioritize based on you know what my stakeholder want to see, and then you know put the rest of that into the appendix. Um, yeah. So I gather like the emotion, the interaction, the behavior. Of like what their mindset and what they you know what information they're looking for from this content, in order to prompt them to do the stuff we want them to do. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thank you. So, mm -hmm. Tom, I have another question for you. <laughs> All right, Larry. So, so, tell me about a time that you were in conflict with a peer, with a coworker, and what did you do about that situation? So, this is probably going to go back to. Uh, again, some of my work in, in financial aid, just because I was there for a long time, um, and kind of the, the the consulting jobs I had, there wasn't too much conflict. I was there for a short period of time, so I didn't get to make too many friends or enemies. Sure, yeah, um, okay. <laughs> uh, so um, I had, uh, I definitely had. Uh, there's a person who basically we were coworkers, and then um, they were elevated above me uh, in a leadership position. We got along okay. <laughs> before um but uh you know the, then there was basically um there was a lot of pressure kind of come down to her then at that point and a lot of that was kind of going you know coming down on, on the team uh and so uh you know i stepped aside with her uh and sat down i said hey can we can we talk uh through some of these issues um so like i i know that you and i are having problems uh, but I know that some of this, this blowback is coming down on the team as well. And so we kind of sat down, they just gave her kind of honest feedback, like here, you know, here's what we're trying to do to help you out. Um, here's where we need you to work with us. And, uh, and ultimately, you know, made some suggestions and we got, you know, worked through to we're at a better place where we're able to work together and then ultimately, you know, achieve our, our goal at the end of that. And that was like, uh, this was, I was in the quality assurance position. So ultimately that was kind of stepping up some of our, uh, some of the speed of our compliance uh, reviews uh, and basically hitting goals for that, that month that, uh, that her leadership and her management is looking for. Fantastic. Do you feel like the relationship improved after that? Uh, it did. I, I think we came to a better understanding uh, of each other. Um, we're not so much at heads. Uh, and uh, I mean, we had a good working relationship, and I, I mean, and then she she moved on maybe about a year later uh, as well, anyhow. So perfect trip. Do you have another question for folks, uh, Mister Behavioral? <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me uh, let me think about that. I think no, I think you guys have covered it well. 
you know, it's so, you know, maybe it's a chance to debrief a little bit. Yeah. Let's yeah. do that. That's so I idea. think, I think, um, you guys have, uh, so Flora, let me start with you. Like where, where I dug in on some of my questions is one of the things with behavioral interviewing that, um, we want to do is we talk about that, uh, star situation, task, action, resort, or result, or SBI situation, behavior impact. And what you want to do is you want to get someone working out of the theoretical and into a specific example, because uh, it's there to intentionally put pressure on you. And what can help is as you prepare ahead of time, how can you identify maybe a half dozen stories uh, in your professional career that were both highlights as well as lowlights where you can reflect on things that you've learned because nobody ever want, you know, you don't want to give the answers like what's your greatest weakness. And they say, I'm too humble. Right. Uh, <laughs> cause that's never, that never goes over well. But it is. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, we have to be humble to our users, right? <laughs> we have to be humble to our users, but it really, what we're aspiring to do is to, get to a point, uh, where we're not, uh, we want to see the human. We want to see where the gaps are. And, uh, you know, at, at Amazon, they used to have vocally self-critical, which then evolved into, uh, learn and be curious. And it was one of the things where if I'm listening for conflict, was it productive conflict or did you take your ball and go home? right? When you hit a blocker, were you resilient? And did you find a different way or to earn trust and build another relationship to get at the information that you want versus sort of falling into a pattern of X versus Y? I think like Tom, one of the questions that I would have wanted to ask you would be like, um, tell me about a time, but I think you're still breaking in. Tell me about a time when a stakeholder disagreed with your research conclusions or questioned your methodology, right? Uh, or tell me about a time you were wrong, uh, you know, is another one. Um, one of my favorites is um, tell me about your proudest failure, uh, which is the thing that you learned the most from that was a painful, you know, potentially a painful mistake, uh, because that actually shows self awareness. Right. And so th those are some of the things that I was picking up on is, can you be real enough to be vulnerable and trust the interviewer enough that you can be human? Because that's really, they want to look at what you're like to work with. Yeah. And it is kind of a hero's journey in some ways, the storytelling. And you know, I often tell people it's like, it's too hard to try to remember 60 different types of projects that had different kinds of things that answer different questions. And so I always tell people, pick kind of your hero stories, which are meaty enough projects or experiences you had at work. And it can go back to previous roles. It doesn't always have to be your most recent job. Sometimes people get stuck in that. It's like, you can go all the way back to college and say, there was a project I worked on in college with somebody and we had a lot of conflict and we had to resolve that. So here's what we did. And so what people want to see is something meaty enough that it's like you can talk about your process. You can talk about how you collaborate. You can talk about what happens when you hit friction. 
because you're going to. If it's a big enough project, there's always friction. Something doesn't turn out right. There's failure. But how did you push through that? And how did you come out the other side? So it's like, how did you take all of that and end up with something that was successful or at least something you learned from to take forward into the next thing that you worked on saying, yeah, that project didn't work out, but here's what we learned. Here's how we took that data forward and we're even more successful the next time we tried to create a solution for the customers or whatever it might be. And so pick those few stories. So when you're in an interview and they hit you with any of these questions, like, tell me about success. Tell me about failure. Tell me about friction. Tell me about, you said no to a boss. Tell me about this. Tell me about that. You don't have to remember a whole bunch of different things. You just got, I have my three hero stories. I'm going to tap into like, you know, that reminds me of this time when I did this and I worked on this project with this person. And it gets a lot easier to be calm in the interview and have stuff just quickly come to mind when you pick those and you've really gone deep on them and you've actually kind of rehearsed the questions yourself. So you, you have a list of the questions you're expecting. You're like, how am I going to answer that? So that when it, I get hit with it or a variant of it, I'm like, oh, okay, I can tell you about that. I have a story about that. And, and a big part of it too, um, you know, we talk about the elevator pitch and a lot of, a lot of what your elevator pitch is, if you've really got things tuned in, uh, is your elevator pitch is your prequel to those other stories. You want, you want to feel how thematically they, they are consistent and they, they match the story that you're telling because a lot of times the goal of a behavioral interview is to identify inconsistency or consistently negative pieces because you'll you'll find that these are very good when the processes run well uh, and um, you know at companies that I've worked at you're trained to do this and you know I was I was sort of reciting Amazon leadership principles you would be assigned leadership principles where if I say uh, earns trust backbone disagree and commit right which is how do you earn somebody's trust while disagreeing with them and telling them that the, their idea is terrible right or maybe not starting with terrible uh it's it's asking the question is yes. like yes yes and <laughs> maybe it's not just working right uh or <laughs> right, or exactly. it's like hmm what we could also try is right uh and and it's so there's a there's a nuance in a in a way of that where Yes, you want the hero's journey, but they want to hear like, are you so much of a hero that you're a pain in the ass to work with? You know, um, <laughs> I have so many interviews and I always have to believe when you have behavior interview and uh, technical interviews, like, uh, especially behavior interview, okay? It's like they want to see what values you bring to the table. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. They, so, I mean, that, they, that's very true. They want to see that you can be an open and honest communicator, that you can admit failure. Because I've had interviews, and, and Trip was talking a little bit about this, where it's a red flag when I'm asking them what happened, tell me about a failure, what went wrong. And they're like, well, you know, engineering couldn't deliver what I designed. They, they just weren't good enough. Or, you know, my manager was never supportive, so I never was able to do the things I really wanted to do. And you're hearing blaming, 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 constantly blaming other people for their failures. And it's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you let some this people- This is an issue. It's a red flag, right? You let some people, you give them a little bit of rope and it becomes very quickly toxic. You just, you put a couple of, you know, 
you put a couple of, of other things in you and you, you want to give them opportunities to pivot out of that. It's not a trap, but a lot of times people will reflectively go back and say, oh, you know, I wasn't understood or they weren't getting it or they just, that company sucks at design or, or, or <laughs> yeah, they just don't get users. Them. Yeah, yeah, people don't interview you to listen to the come, you know, your peers' company failure or like your manager yeah, failures. Yeah, exactly. So exactly, and even if it's true, so that's the mm-hmm. thing I I tell people is that sometimes it's true. Sometimes you did have a bad boss, but the interview is not the place to talk about it. You know, it's like you have to be smooth and political and explain. I always tell people think of it as a pull versus a push. One of my questions that I ask people is like, why do you want to leave your job? Why do you want to quit and come here? And sometimes people will say the wrong thing. They'll, they'll describe it as a push. Oh, my coworkers are so toxic or they're not paying me enough. They don't appreciate me. And I said, even if it's true, no one wants to hear that. Your new manager doesn't want to hear, oh, so you want to make it a poll saying, I'm excited about a new opportunity to work with your company because you're in a space that I've always been passionate about, or you serve a customer that I care deeply about. Or I read your recent press release, what you guys are doing. I think it's amazing. I'd like to be a part of that mission, right? And part of that, that reading the press release and doing your homework is, yes, they want to know about your values and they want to know if your values align with theirs. So they don't right. want ex- external values to come in and supplant the values that they already feel good about. They want somebody that is going to resonate I mean, there is a bit of pattern matching. Is this person a culture fit? Uh, and a lot of times you can have somebody, and you see this a lot in design. In, in, in human-centered design, we get on our high horses. And I've been just as guilty of it as anyone. Uh, that no one wants the crusader that is to always telling other people how they're wrong. And, and, and that's... <laughs> That's, yeah. that's the thing where it's your values, but your values reflected in a way that it resonates with their values. And sometimes looking at their press releases, looking how they talk about themselves, figuring out how you connect your sense of mission and your values with what the company is doing. Um, well, because at the end of the day, we're all human beings. Nobody wants to see themselves as, uh, you know, I mean, if you want, if, if we wanted to do this, uh, you know, for nefarious reasons, you can probably go fix, find the companies that will pay you to do that. Right. Uh, but most companies, they want to be the good guy, right? Everybody wants to be the good guy. So find the way that your value can be communicated to them in a way that they'll understand using their language. Right. Right. So Tom and Flora, I just wanted to say thank you for being willing to come on the show at such late notice and and sit in the hot seat. I know that's not easy. I know it's not easy, but uh, I'm glad you're able to join us and have a little bit of practice with it. Yeah, I you know I appreciate the opportunities. You know, um, it's also good insights, and you know, nice to meet new people too. <laughs> nice to meet you too. Yep. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, absolutely, and best of luck to both of you. You know, uh, I think you guys have some great stories, you know, just dial them in and you'll, you'll be good to go. Yeah, absolutely. So Anna, where can they learn more about Brave New Workforce? Yeah, we have a website called the brave, the brave workforce.com. Something mm-hmm. like that. We also have a Twitter account. Larry, do you know our, what our Twitter is? I do. It's BNWF podcast. Oh God. 
We need to fix Exciting. this. <laughs> and uh, Trip, you want to walk us out? Yeah. Get your story straight. <laughs> what is that? Your... What is that? Yeah, sure. Why yeah. not? Yeah, we're we're working on episode. Uh, what, 40, like I over forty now? Yeah. yeah, over forty. Yeah, so oh. it's yeah. it's getting it's getting hard to keep it fresh, but day by day, one step in front of the other, better days are ahead. There we go. 